HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is made possible thanks to the generosity of our listeners. Show your support at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. This week on Meet in 3, we're embracing the spooky spirit of Halloween, from zombies to witches. We're exploring the odd, the occult, and the taboo in the world of food. There are restaurants with no storefront shrunken down into hundreds of square feet versus thousands of square feet. No servers, no hosts, nobody taking your order. The rats in the sewers are now smelling, all of a sudden, fresh food molecules. And those rats were like, holy cow, follow that scent. Tune in to Meat and Three, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Julie Resnick, co-founder of The Actual Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. I will be your host for season three of the Feed Feed podcast, a special series called What's on Your Table? Each episode, I will be taking a look at a specific country, region, or people and talking to a few members of the Feed Feed community about the food, recipes, ingredients, and flavors that make up the dishes that are always on their tables. Today, we're talking all about food and drink from Thailand, and I'm joined by three very special guests. First up, we have Pai from Hot Thai Kitchen. Pai is the author of Hot Thai Kitchen, the host of the TV series One World Kitchen on Gusto TV, and the creator and host of the YouTube channel Pailin's Kitchen that has over 1.2 million subscribers. Pai grew up in southern Thailand and, is, and has always found herself in the kitchen doing whatever she could to prepare for dinner for her family. She studied nutritional science at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver and then went on to work in professional kitchens before moving to San Francisco, where she attended culinary school. After culinary school, at the suggestion of her brother, she started Hot Thai Kitchen in 2016, when she realized how much she loved to share her favorite Thai recipes with her friends. Pai currently lives in Vancouver and goes home to Thailand every year to see her family. 
stay in touch with her culture, and get inspiration for the recipes she develops on Hot Thai Kitchen. Next up, we have Jen Seisu, the owner of Fish Cheeks, a Thai restaurant on Bond Street in New York City. Jen has always loved food. Growing up, she scoured Bangkok with her father in search of the best dishes. She moved to the U.S. when she was 12 and she landed in New York. Jen opened her first restaurant when she was 23 years old. Her current restaurant, Fish Cheeks, serves family-style, seafood-focused Thai food with the goal of bringing the same regional flavors Jen grew up eating in Thailand to New York. Fish Cheeks is a Pad Thai-free zone. Jen loves sharing Thai dishes that aren't typically featured on Thai menus, like coconut crab curry and steamed fish with Thai herbs. Jen loves to give New Yorkers a true taste of Bangkok and beyond. And finally, we have Parnas Savang, a first-generation Thai American and the chef and co-owner of Talat Market in Atlanta, Georgia. His style of cooking focuses on using local seasonal ingredients of Atlanta while honoring traditional Thai cooking techniques. Parnas grew up serving and cooking at his parents' suburban Thai restaurant before working at some of Atlanta's restaurant institutions. Parnas has traveled to Thailand eight times and has, was lucky enough to stage at Pak Pak in Portland and Nam in Bangkok under David Thompson. Earlier this month, Parnas was featured in Bon Appetit magazine, where he spoke about the pivot to takeout Talat has had to make during the pandemic, and his curry recipe made the magazine's cover. Welcome, everyone, to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm so happy to have you all here today. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. Thank you so much. Yeah, so let's talk about the food and drink from Thailand. Um, let's start um, actually with you, Parnas. So you were born in Atlanta and you grew up spending your days, your weekends, your nights uh, at your parents' restaurant. Is that correct? Well, I was uh, born in San Diego. Okay. And when I was two, my parents decided to move to Atlanta because uh, at that time my grandma was there. Okay. And they did a like a they recorded videos and like like it was like a, like a, a Thai Laotian blockbuster underground and <laughs> they did that for a bit and then they decided to open a restaurant and yeah it was in in Snellville Georgia the suburbs. Awesome. So from what I've read, you spent a lot of time in the restaurant growing up. Talk to us a little bit about. Um, what that was like, what were some of the dishes that they served and, you know, what was, um, you know, your role in, in the family restaurant? Well, I started at a young, started at a young age. <laughs> so we pretty much like lived there. We had our, uh, like I had a video game room, uh, that was in the dry storage. So yep. playing like Sega, with, <laughs> like Jasmine rice. Uh, buckets in the back and you know as uh, you know I started growing up a little more and I could wash dishes for my parents and then I'd pick basil and eventually I was like serving tables and people would just it was watching me grow up in the restaurant and a lot of the dishes that were made uh, in this suburban community was like pot thai, yeah. pot to you, fried rice, right? all these things that that community want, wanted in big portions as well. And 
Um, so, I mean, I ate well during service. If after school, I would eat like that stuff, the Thai American stuff. Yeah. Um, but after after service, my parents would make food, and usually something quick, like a stir fry of cabbage or Napa cabbage with uh, ground pork. Uh, some white pepper, some fish sauce, um, something easy, and uh, but yeah, that was that was a lot of my upbringing. Um, and did you like it? I mean, I've talked to a lot of children who grew up in their parents' restaurants, and it's interesting. So many of them, you know, kind of resented it and didn't enjoy spending so much time there as a child, but then. It seems that many of them actually kind of circled back around, um, you know, went to culinary school or opened up their own restaurants. So what was your kind of trajectory? Yeah, my story is very similar to that, too. I really didn't want to work in the restaurant. I, uh, growing up, I mean, going to high school, I wanted to, like, I was doing sports, like basketball and wrestling and swimming. And then I did musical theater and all the arts and I, I would always dread on the, on Friday nights, I would have to go back to work and, you know, help my mom and dad do. And in, in Thai culture, that's like not wanting to help your mom and dad is, is really bad, <laughs> but, but like, I just didn't want to do that stuff. I wanted to hang out with my friends, but uh, eventually I, after high school, I didn't know what I was good at. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And the only thing I knew uh, somewhat was cooking and and uh, the the restaurant world. So, you know, it took some motivation from watching uh, like cooking shows. Yeah. To uh, kind of push me in the, uh, that direction, and I went to culinary school and uh, met a lot of uh, you know. I got homesick about for Thai food, and there was like a Thai club at my culinary school and that kind of opened my eyes about what Thai food could like go into and what direction um but yeah I I was lucky that I fell into something that I enjoy because I I enjoy putting food in front of somebody and watching them light up you know yeah, me too. Um, so Jen, let's talk about um, growing up. So you grew up in Bangkok and you lived there until you were 12? Yes. So I was actually born here. And then my mom was like, I don't want to live here anymore. We need to go back um, when I was two. So we all moved back to Thailand. I was there until I was 12. Um, and then I, I came here. But growing up was, you know, extremely fun, especially in Bangkok. It's you, you don't realize when you're there that there's just like abundance of food. Like everything that we do revolves around food. Like, you know, we like our days off or even after school or anything like that. It just, you know, we just go straight to food and there's so much of it. There's so many different things. <laughs> um, my mom is a terrible cook. <laughs> my, my, she knows this. She she won't be mad. She won't be mad. Um, but my grandmother is an amazing cook, and she's the one that you know like makes everything for us, cook everything for us. And my dad is a huge foodie, so he he'll find like you know the best restaurant that has a certain things, and he'll go there for it. You know, like so it it was really fun go, growing up in Bangkok. 
Yeah, and I can imagine. Yeah, it just, it just like there's just like there's just so much food, and <laughs> you know, like and, so many different yeah. types. Also, like I don't even know how to explain it to people sometimes. Like when they they've never been there, I'm just like, you don't understand. Like it just you, we eat different things every day. Like you know, it's not it's not one thing or another. Like you know, in the morning we'll have like kanji, which is like joke. It's you know like porridge basically, yeah. but with like this like fried dough that's like my vivid memory like every Saturday that's like what I would look for to because it's like and it's just from this guy in the middle of the street that's making it it's not even a restaurant you know yeah. um so that's that's what it is and then like there's just like so many little stalls and you know like every every restaurant or every stall has their own specialty things like the like one guy would just be making just noodles and another guy would just be making like just grilled chicken and it just there's so much like there's just so many different types of food <laughs> um yeah but when I got here um I started working in a restaurant when I was in high school actually and I just kept up with that you know throughout college and when I when I got out of college, I was just like, I don't know, like I don't want to go into like a nine to five thing, and I don't want to work in like a corporate setting. Yeah. So I kind of was very arrogant and thinking that I can do it. So I just you know jump into it with a couple of people that wants to open a restaurant, and I did it. Ta- like definitely, you know, kick me in the butt. Uh, it, it was a it's great hard work it's yeah hard work. it was a great learning experience definitely I went to business school that didn't teach me anything opening up a restaurant taught me everything <laughs> um, but yeah so I opened that up didn't last long you know it was you know I was there for a year and then I went back to my old boss and I was a GM at his restaurant for I think four four years and that's Mm -hmm. where I met my current business partner and you know we got talking and then we were just like you know this is what I want for especially for New York there's so many Thai restaurants but a lot of restaurants have the same set of menus there's nothing wrong with that but we we both grew up in Thailand and we you know miss the flavors and we want to show people that there's more to Thai food than you know like the set standards um dishes that that we we see and love here yeah that's great um and um you know just looking through the menu and and reading about the dishes and um you know reading about the way that you bring these flavors together i mean it really sounds special and and unique and um definitely sounds like it it gives new yorkers a true taste of bangkok so Mm -hmm. congrats um Pi, so let's talk a little bit about your journey. Um, so you have 1.2 million subscribers on your YouTube channel. I love watching your videos, um, uh, the way that you take th- someone through, you know, how to make a recipe and the stories that you tell um, while you're talking about what you're doing. You know, did, you know, if, if, if someone, you know, 10 years ago would say that, you know, you would be a content creator and putting out cookbooks and um, content on YouTube, would would you have believed them? Like, um, how did how did you get from um, you know growing up in in Thailand to where you are today, living in Vancouver? Yeah, so it has always been a dream to have a cooking show. 
Like I am not shy to say that at all. When I was in when I was in high school, um, I watched a lot of cooking shows which were just recently imported, like Jamie Oliver and Jella Lawson, you know, those kinds of shows. And I was just so completely inspired and just fascinated and mesmerized. And I thought, you know what? I love food. And I've always had a thing for presenting. Like I always love presenting things like, you know, at school when people you they want you to do an oral presentation. <laughs> I was into that and most people were like, oh no. Um and so it kind of it kind of became a thing where this is a perfect combination of the things that I love. But, you know, like how do you become a Jamie Oliver? You know what I mean? Like at the time it was just straight up not possible. Um and so it was just sort of a dream. But then I continued to go into food and that's why I went into nutrition and I ended up you know, working in restaurants, going to culinary school and all that stuff. But until YouTube shows were a thing, the idea of a cooking show was not possible, right? And so when YouTube became a thing and my brother was like, hey, you know, you're always talking about wanting a, a cooking show, you can have one now. And I jumped on it. As soon as I discovered that it was possible, I was like, we're doing it. We're doing it right now when you're going to help me with it. And that was my brother. That's so cool. And, um, and we just kept going. And at the t- and when I started, I just thought, you know what? Like, if this becomes something that somebody at Food Network was going to discover me from or something like that, it would be awesome. But if not, you know, this is great. Um, there was no way to make a living from YouTube at the time, or at least I didn't know about it. <laughs> so it was just, uh, you know, doing something out of out of passion. And, and maybe it would be like a, a resume for somebody to stumble upon. But as the internet evolved and the world of content creation evolved, it became a legitimate way of making a living. And eventually it just kind of gained traction and evolved from there. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are some of the recipes that really re- resonate with your audience on YouTube? What are some of the ones that have the most number of views and you know engagement? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I've um, The internet is an interesting place about <laughs> with things that catch and things that don't. Um, obviously, the classics like green curry, tom yum soup, and, you know, the stuff that you find in most high restaurant menus, those do well, and they continue to do well. And then there'll be the weird stuff that just kind of catches fire all of a sudden. Like, if you're on my channel, you know that the most popular video is an agar agar jelly. In fact, it's a bunch of agar agar jellies, which is a Thai dessert. And when I I've always loved agar jellies. Like it's like my favorite thing in the world. And when I posted the first video of that recipe, I thought this is just going to be, you know, an average performing video, if not a flop, because nobody knows about it. Um, but it ended up just becoming so popular for reasons I still don't understand until this day. And it's great. It's it's you know like you just never know what people are going to love. And then there'll be other recipes where I'm like so excited about it this is great. It's so delicious. And it's so easy. I post it and it flops. And you just don't know why. Um, So, you know, in some ways, I think it's similar. If you were to run a restaurant as well, you put stuff on the menu, and you're obviously excited about everything. Otherwise, you wouldn't put it there. Mm -hmm. And then people don't like it. And then you're like, Oh, well, that's disappointing. Or people love something that you thought was just going to be, you know, an average item on the menu. So it's a process of discovery. Yeah. Cool. And so do you still work with your brother? Does he shoot and edit your videos or have you? So 
the brother that suggested I start it, um, we don't work together anymore because he moved away to Thailand. So that ended. But the other brother (laughs) that sort of came into the picture later, he has, he lives in LA, so we're not together, but he has shot some of my sort of bigger non-cooking videos. So like when we go to Thailand and do documentaries because he's a a film professional. So he films those ones. Um, But regularly um, I edit my, edit my own videos and I have a friend who helps me with the shoot um, Adam, who helped, like, I, I use his kitchen, basically, okay. to, as a film set, and mm-hmm. he helps me, and he sort of become part of the, part of the team, and, uh, but yeah, but moving forward, my brother is actually going to start editing my videos, because it's starting to, the work, the workload is starting to become too much, especially now that I have a baby, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. congratulations, oh, thank you, um, so you grew up in Thailand. When did you move to the U.S.? Or actually, you moved to Canada, right? I moved to Canada yeah. um, after high school. So I came here for university. So I was 19 at the time. Yeah. And so talk to us about growing up in Thailand. Um, you know, Where did you grow up? What are some of, um, I know that you helped out a lot in the kitchen. What are some of the, the favorite dishes that you like to make um, and cook with your family when you were growing up? So I grew up in southern Thailand in a town called Hat Yai, and um, I was there until I was about 12, and then we moved to Bangkok after that. My vivid, the most vivid memory that I have in the kitchen is making coconut milk. And that was a thing that just had to be done because you couldn't buy pre-made coconut milk where we were uh-huh. and and it's a process. You take the coconut and then you grate it using this chair with an attached blade and then you mix it with water and squeeze it's such a long process but it was just it was just something that you do you know like you didn't complain about it um but I just found that so relaxing and enjoyable you know one of those weird tasks that is so tedious yet so relaxing and I also loved pounding anything in the Morden pestle. Anything that <laughs> needed to be pounded, I was like, give it to me, I will do it. And as a kid, it's just so much fun. And when you weren't allowed to have a knife, you know, the Morden pestle was sort of like a safe thing that a kid could could do. And you, you know, sit them there for 15 minutes and it was it was just a blast. So so I think I started out with a lot of long, tedious tasks like that that I really enjoyed. And then and then from that, once I started to be a little bit older, stir frying was my favorite because for a kid, stirring anything is fun, totally. right? You'll just stir and stir and stir <laughs> until it's overcooked and you're like, but I want to stir. Um, so I would just stand on a little stool and stir the wok. And my we had a live-in um, nanny who was also the family cook and she would just throw stuff into the wok and I would just stir them. <laughs> and, and then I would claim that I made it. <laughs> like it would show up at the dinner table and I was like, I made that. And I was so proud. And really I just stirred things. Love it. Mm-hmm. Um, so Parnas, let's go back to you. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about uh, your restaurant, Talat, which means market, which I was, I, I kind of got a kick out of um, market, market, and here I am with feed, feed. So, um, <laughs> and, and I too actually really love cooking with local and seasonal ingredients. It's actually the 
that was sort of the inspiration for how I actually started the company. But getting back to um, your restaurant in Atlanta, talk to us about, um, you know, using some seasonal ingredients from Atlanta, from the South, uh, but honoring that Thai cooking, you know, ingredients and and techniques. Um, What are some of the most popular dishes on the menu? Well, people, well, during COVID, we, we opened during COVID, so it's hard to describe um, more esoteric dishes to people on Instagram yeah. without having them in the space and having our servers explain it to them. Right. Uh, so what we've done is pretty much uh, get dishes where people don't have to think. But yeah. like Rick Hurry sells well. Um, anything, uh, grilled sells well, uh, our fruit salad sells well as well. Um, as well, it's the yam polamai. It's kind of, it's a very simple dish. Just grab a couple of contrasting fruits with different textures and, uh, amounts of juices, Mm -hmm. uh, some sour, some sweet and kind of toss it with some herbs like mint, cilantro, and throw in some lemongrass and our dressing uh, with like fish sauce, lime juice, palm sugar, and garlic chilies. And we have the sauce separated. So a lot of the food that we send out is pretty much like 90% complete. Uh-huh. And they, uh, the guests kind of finish it up uh, at home. Um, but the, the seasonal... It took a couple years to understand what the what what farmers were doing here in Atlanta for me, because I, I grew up in a Thai restaurants and we used a lot of like like restaurant depot stuff. Uh, our local uh, uh, Chinese uh, vendor, mm-hmm. um, so we didn't. I didn't get a lot of that experience. But when I after culinary school. And I talked to a couple of my friends who did uh, work in uh, like some restaurants in Atlanta uh, that did uh, farm the table yep. at that time. Uh, I uh, started working there at those places and I farmers would come in and they drop their uh, produce off and then chef would have me prep them and I would taste them like, wow, I've never had cabbage this sweet before or wow, I didn't know peppers can taste uh, this clean. Um, yeah. And then eventually, after learning all a lot about the, the, the farming culture, culture here, I got uh, going back to my parents' house and they would cook food. And I'd see certain ingredients that were similar that could connect uh, and the would be a, like some, like let's say, some like uh, lady peas is um, very pink eye peas, black eye peas are very mm-hmm. prominent in uh, Georgia, uh, especially during now, actually. Yeah. And, but you don't really see beans in uh, that style of beans in Thai food. It's, I just remember seeing a lot of beans in desserts. Right. And I I never got that. Never. I never got. Was no. I, I wasn't a big fan of that. Um, but you know, during 
before we opened the restaurant, we had a pop up and yep. we would like experiment and have like peas and like a, a lop or a or peas and a curry and some of my Thai friends and guests would come in. They're like, "Whoa, what are you doing? <laughs> this is not supposed to go together." And I'm like, "I don't. It tastes. They both taste good. So maybe if we put them together, they taste great." I'm just, tr- <laughs> I'm just trying to figure it out. Um, but yeah, it's it. You know, a lot of ingredients. If they're really good, I was thinking probably will be good in a Thai uh, uh, format as well. And people, it seemed like it seemed to like uh, work because after that pop-up and we got so many articles and write-ups and it just propelled us to um, the brick and mortar. So that's great. Yeah. And you had that pop-up for a while, right? It it was a couple of years. Yeah, it was. So I quit my jobs at uh, these restaurants called Staple House and Kimball House in Atlanta. And, you know, that was brought, brought by my dad telling me that I was about to be 30 and I hadn't done anything yet. <laughs> like, I'm still working for people. And that, you know, I'm like, all right, I ha- I've had this back-burning dream in my back pocket for a while. And I know Atlanta doesn't have a really... Uh, a Thai restaurant that I wanted to work at. I was like yeah. waiting for someone to open a Thai restaurant that I wanted to work at, but no one did. And uh, I was like, all right, my friend is doing a pop-up. He's been doing it well. Maybe that's the way to do, to try out the, my my idea. And I talked to him and he literally gave me the spot. And it was like one of the most coveted spots in Atlanta because you literally get to have three days of the week at this restaurant every week rather than like jumping around town and you know, like building kitchens and right changing menus based on the equipment oh it's yeah, so it's rough glorious <laughs> yeah. but we got uh we we got to i mean i've had a couple of dishes that i've been working on uh while i was working at other restaurants but i never really went further than that and that opportunity kind of allowed me to learn more. And like, actually, Pi, you uh, uh, were very a help. You were a very helpful guide for me. Really? For well, certain, I'm so glad to yes, hear. Um, certain dishes I didn't know it. Like, I was off a couple ingredients, or I just uh, I've eaten it before, but I don't know how to make it. So I would like um. research, and uh, Pi would be there to help me with her video. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, that's, was my learning and I looked through like books and then I got to travel a bit to understand the context of the food more. And, and as I put out all these dishes that I was trying out that I really enjoyed people, it resonated with people, people just kept talking about it. And, um, yeah, it was, it was cool to see that Thai food was, uh, making some sort of splash in the American Atlanta South, you know? Yeah. Congratulations. I mean, I grew up in Dallas, so um, I feel like I have a little bit of context to um, kind of uh, how you even described your parents' restaurant, um, you know, being the type of food that people in that particular region 
want, even though it's not as true or authentic um, as what, of course, you would have if you were in Thailand. So you, I, I read that you traveled to, to Thailand, um, I think you said eight times. Um, what are some of kind of like, how was it going over there? You know, you were born and, and raised in America, um, but going over, what were your experiences like and what did you take away from the travels there? The, the first six trips or actually five, whatever, they were more because my, my mom wanted to go visit the family yeah. and I was kind of, uh, it was, Oh, cool. An opportunity to get out of town. Sometimes it was dragged there, but it, it was, I, I look back and I really appreciate well, what that, that opportunity, because it gave me, it created these memories in my, my head that are more than just, you know, from a cookbook. It, it was, it, those memories, those food memories, uh, are related to, um, uh, okay. My, the childhood, the food memories are related deep in me. And so every time I, if I do a dish, I, it's not, oh, because I looked at this book. Right. It's, it's sometimes deeper and has a more of an emotional attachment, which was, is, uh, why I do the Thai food I do. Um, but as I got older, I, uh, went to the direction of cooking more. And so my eyes were more open to the food vendors now and the markets and the way people ate certain dishes. I was just more aware of that and focused. And so I, I would spend, there was one day where I was, I was bored and I was like, you know what? I've never seen a market from morning, uh, afternoon and at night. So I, my, I stayed with my uncle who lives in this uh, fruit market and that's what I did. I just walked around pretty much the whole day. And then when I was tired, I would take a nap, but I saw the transformation of a market throughout the day. And it's quite amazing how like in the one street can have uh, so many different vendors just uh, organized coming in and they just, they just know what the routine is. And, but I, I brought back uh, a lot of ideas of like fresh, I didn't know fresh coconut milk was a thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> My mom didn't do that at the restaurant. It was always canned. And I tasted the fresh coconut milk. I was so surprised how like sweet and like, subtle it is mm -hmm. and then uh then i immediately learned immediately learned that it expires really quickly mm -hmm. uh, i'm like damn <laughs> darn it um but there was a lot of things like that and then when i took those lessons back and uh tried to uphold them but i know i can't make true thai food where i'm at because i'm not in thailand so i just accepted that you know I'll just do my version of what I think Thai food is. And, you know, it's a constant, I'm constantly learning. I don't, I still, um, I'm not perfect, but um, the, 
but you can really, I can really taste uh, the difference um, between what my, I grew up eating at my mom and dad's restaurant and what I'm trying to do now. So that's great thank you for those Thailand trips. <laughs> awesome. So we're just going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsor. All of us at HRN have been keeping busy despite working and recording from home. This fall, we're proud to announce new shows on the network that each bring important and enlightening stories to listeners around the world. While the world is in turmoil and the future of our country is uncertain, there are certain constants that help keep us going. For us, food and storytelling are essential. While we can't come together in person, Food podcasts from HRN can provide a virtual table we can all gather around. Bringing exceptional stories to your ears and keeping you informed on the ever-changing political and environmental issues of our time is integral to our mission. At a time when the world around us is rapidly changing, HRN is committed to being here for our listening community, and we need you to be here for us. Join our table and help ensure the future of food radio by becoming a member of HRN. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to make a contribution. Check out the latest additions to our lineup while you're there. You can see all of our series at heritageradionetwork.org slash new shows. So Jen, let's talk a little bit about sort of your entrepreneurial spirit and um, starting businesses at a young age. And I'm curious, you know, there are a lot of people out there that we've spoken to recently that during the pandemic have, you know, kind of looked at what they're doing with their life. And they're saying, you know what, I don't like my job, or I've always wanted to do this. Um, you know, and they're they're trying to decide, you know, should they take the plunge? Um, what kind of advice do you have for young people right now that are thinking about launching their own thing or changing careers? Um, you know, you obviously took that initiative early on, um, you know, opening your first restaurant at 23. So I'd love to hear from you on that. I think, you know, as long as you're happy and you're doing your most, <laughs> I think it will it will turn out fine. Um, for me, I I just always know myself that I don't ever want to really work for every anyone. Um, I'm pretty stubborn when it comes to things that I want to do. Um, so I know that like, what is the worst that can happen? You know, like if I, if I jump into this and it doesn't, it doesn't work, what, what can happen? I close the restaurant. Okay. You know, like that's not, it's not, the worst thing that can happen, you know, like, but what if, you know, like I open it and I put it everything that I have, like literally like my blood, sweat and tears, like any, anything it's, someone's going to appreciate it. Someone's going to appreciate it, you know, like, and, and I think why not? Like, especially during this time, you know, when you don't have like that constant pressure of, 
you know, like having to go out and work or whatever, this is a perfect time to kind of find yourself and really look into what you actually want to do. I, I think I told a couple, a lot of my servers actually that are, you know, like on the younger side, they, they didn't want to come back. And I said, you know what, I totally understand. This is the time you, if you need to find yourself, this is the time to do it. Whatever you want, whatever you want to do right now, I think this is the perfect time to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so what, how has that it been at Fish Cheeks during COVID? Obviously, you know, New York City restaurants, um, you know, were closed right. and have been closed. And have you, you know, changed we and never, sort of pivoted to takeout? And are you back open? How's it going? So we never closed, actually. Okay. <laughs> So we never closed. Um, we heard the news on, I remember like March 16th, March 15th or something like that. And um, we, me and my partners were just saying, hey, like, you know, we, we don't have the luxury of closing down. Um, we still have people that are willing to work. I mean, obviously, we asked all, all of our employees if they, you know, who's comfortable, who's right. not comfortable. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of these people, they don't have the choice or they don't have the luxury of being like, you know what, I'm going to stay at home. Like, I, I can't afford to stay home. Um, some of them are, no, like, I, I still would love to work if you you guys are open. So when that happened and when we have that answers from our employees, we, we decide that, you know what, Let, let's open. Why not? You know, um, and we'll take it one day at a time. So we just been open ever since and we just, you know, listen to what they have to say, the government has to say, and just take that guideline and shifting every single day. When they said takeout only, we did takeout only. When they said, okay, you know what, now we can have a little bit of outdoor dining, we did that. Um, indoor dining, we're at 25%. I only have three tables in the restaurant right now. We're doing that also. So whatever they're throwing our way, we're, we're just going to take it. <laughs> and shifting shifting as we as we go well good for you i mean it, it's it's definitely a time where you know we all have to um take things one day at a time and yeah. you know, show how resilient you can be um has what people have been ordering changed due to the pandemic I'm, I'm assuming your your takeout business is um you know doing well um what are you seeing in terms of new trends these days um, we have a couple of dishes that are always that sort of like fan favorites, um, like the coconut crab curry, the, the steamed fish and the crab fried rice and the chicken wings or, or zap wings. Those are, you know, the, everyone's favorite. And mm -hmm. during, I guess a couple months back when it was only takeout only, and we only have limited numbers of staff, we did kind of decrease the items on the menu, um, so we just kind of stick with, you know, like, I think we cut down to only, I want to say like 10, 12 items on the menu. That's uh -huh. like including appetizers and, and entrees. Um, and, you know, we were like, okay, I think this is what people are going like that. That's, that's what people want. We're, we don't want to overdo it. You know, we don't want to waste products as well. So we kind of just stuck with that, but we, you know, slowly we, you know we take back our employees so we have the 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 manpower to make more dishes and you know more items so we slowly just kind of bring back like a lot of other dishes and it's actually been selling so we're we're happy about that that's great um 
And kind of the same question for you, Pai. Um, obviously, you know, your career has gone, you know, in another direction, you know, with content and cookbooks. What kind of advice do you have for people who are kind of questioning, um, you know, their current jobs and uh, what they're doing for work um, and sort of have always had an idea, you know, of something they wanted to do? What, what kind of advice do you have for them during this time? I always say it doesn't hurt to try. And um, if you want to do some research and dig up my very first video, you will see that I had, <laughs> I was not prepared. I was not professional, but, but I, I, I tried it, yeah. you know, and, and in the world of content creation, if you are thinking about content, whether it's a blog or it's a, you know, videos or whatever it is, Remember that content is king. So it doesn't matter how beautiful your things are, if it doesn't taste good, if it's not good, if you're doing tutorial, if it doesn't make sense, if the recipes don't work, that doesn't matter. And on the flip side, if the content is good, people are willing to put up with maybe lesser production value because they, at the end of the day, they, they're here for the content, right? There's right. so much beautiful food stuff in the world. Um, there's a plenty, plentiful beautiful things they can look at but I think what is always lacking is is quality recipes and tutorials and instructions that people can follow especially in what I'm gonna call niche cuisines mm -hmm. like Thai food where there's just not a lot out there right if people are wanting to cook Thai food at home there are so few tutorials in English, I should add, um, that people can follow. So, so a lot of times people want to start content and they say, well, but my niche is so small. It's like, well, look at my niche, you know, my niche yep. is so small yet here we are 1.2 million subscribers later. Um, and so there's always people out there. I think that will appreciate what you do if you do it well. But at the same time, I always say, look out, into the world of content and see what people are producing and make sure you do it at least as well as what's out there. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people are like, I'm just going to start a YouTube video. And then they just, you know, they film something and they think it's good, <laughs> but like have, have some real honest feedback and yeah. really look out there and compare yourself to other people. The bar has gone up so high compared to when I started. Mm -hmm. I actually started in 2009. My very first video came out. At the time, the bar was low. The bar was cat videos, you know? <laughs> but now, if you are going to start, you can't start the way I started, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, like I, ur I urge you to just go for it and don't overthink it and learn and improve. But you really have to be aware of what's out there now because the competition is, is so much more um, so there's a balance of that uh, don't overthink it or you'll never do it but at the same time be aware of what everyone else is doing too because you don't want to you don't want to suck right <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Parnas anything else you want to add there for for people who are thinking of going in a different direction these days yeah I mean I agree with Pai and, and Jin about being looking at your what's out there so you can create something that if I mean if you're passionate about something compare that to everything else in the field and there's no like competition really 
that's uh, a good way to uh, do well. I mean, I mean, that's when I was, I'm in Atlanta and there's not a lot of Thai food that does the, the food that I want. And I wasn't willing to throw everything into uh, the, the basket unless I knew that there was, there was a demand and there wasn't a lot of competition. <laughs> and so uh, scoping it out, scoping your, what's going on is important. Yeah. And then um, finding, if you have a passion for something that you go to sleep and you, you dream about it, you wake up, you still think about it. And that's something, I mean, that you should tap into and, you know, try, make some mistakes because uh, those mistakes will teach you lessons. And um, But ju- if you're super uh, excited about your idea, the cool thing is that it's infectious and other people want to help that idea or want to be a part of it. And, um, and sometimes it just can, you know, if you're, you're nice and, and you're passionate <laughs> and you work hard, opportunities, people will just want to give them to you. And, um, and, and I, yeah, so yeah, that's, that's my, my spiel. That's great. Um, so circling back to food, one question that I always like to ask is, um, you know, kind of aside from the usuals, um, what are three ingredients that you always have on hand, whether it's, you know, in your pantry, in your fridge, in your freezer? Um, so Jen, we'll start with you. Fish sauce, which is shrimp paste mm-hmm. and um, palm sugar. Awesome. Parnas? Uh, fish sauce. <laughs> There's uh, a theme here. <laughs> you can't live without fish sauce. Nam pig pao. It's mm-hmm. uh, the red chili jam. Yeah. And I like to have uh, whole fried dace with the uh, salted bean in there in my cupboard too. It's the it's like uh, uh, fish in a can kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And pie? Fish sauce, without <laughs> question. Uh, and I also throw in soy sauce because I think the combination of the two is just so versatile. And then finally, lime. Lime. Yep. Mm-hmm. Me too. Um, so it's actually funny. So our last question that we like to end on is a little bit of a game. Um, and basically, I don't know if you've played this game, the Fuck, Mary Kill so I'm going to give three Thai ingredients um, and you tell me which one you want to F, which one you want to marry, and which one you want to kill. Um, and it's funny, the ones that I'd already chosen and, you know, based on what you all just uh, described as some of your favorite ingredients, I think this might be tough. But here are the three ingredients. Um, and Jen, we'll start with you. So coconut milk, lime, and fish sauce. Oh my god! I, oh my god, this is hard. I would probably marry fish sauce. I push fish sauce in everything, um, and then coconut milk and lime, right? Yeah, lime. I'll f. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll substitute that. I, I'm willing to. I'm willing to. You know, give that away. Um, and then I guess I will kill. 
No, wait, no. I'll kill Lime. Kill Lime. You're killing Lime. I'll marry fish sauce. And then I'll fuck coconut milk. There you go. There you go. Love it. Um, Pie, how about you? I think I think I'll kill lime too, even though I just said lime. Just because you know what? You know know? what? There's always lemons. Yeah. Um, And and fish sauce. There's absolutely no substitute. So I think I'm the same. Like I marry fish sauce. Yeah, coconut milk is hard. Coconut milk is hard, but there isn't coconut milk in every dish. But there's fish sauce in almost every dish. So I think yeah, I think that's the way it is. And how about you, Pranas? Oh man. Feel like I'll be repeating everybody. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because it's the correct answer, Pranaz. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna marry fish sauce. Yeah. And uh, I'm gonna kill coconut milk. And what? What? You're gonna kill I'm coconut gonna milk? Marry. What? What was the other one? Fuck lime. the lime. Yeah. <laughs> to be different. Why not? Okay. Oh, that's always a fun way to to end the episode. Um, Well, thank you all for joining. I've loved hearing all of your personal stories about your families, about where you've come from, and the food that's always on your table. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the food and discovery platform that is The Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. Be sure and follow us on Instagram at The Feed Feed and follow today's guest as well. If you have a food story to tell or you want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur about a specific country, region, and its cuisine, we'd love to hear your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.